You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome back to A Bigger Life. Today I'm going to look at Psalm 51. Now, this is one of those psalms that if you've been a Christian for a long time and are familiar with the psalms, uh, this will no doubt be on your short list of psalms that you turn to from time to time. I think it's probably the most frequently read, frequently prayed psalm in the 3,000 years it's been in existence because it is the psalm that we are particularly told that David wrote after he had had adultery with Bathsheba and after he had had her husband killed on the front lines so that he would not be accused of adultery. He was trying to cover up his sin. But it says, this is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. This is after Nathan had conf- this is after Nathan had confronted him and finally David came clean and confessed his sin and Psalm 51 is David writing a psalm writing a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit to to repent of his sin with Bathsheba now this is important for us to say a few things before we read this psalm. One is it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit wanted this psalm to be a part of the book of worship, the book of prayer, the psalms in the Bible, the psalms that Jesus spent much time in. Now, Jesus didn't have any sin. He didn't have sin to confess, but he builds sin right into his Lord's prayer, right in the middle, forgive forgive us our trespasses, and, and it's always been part of God's gift to his people to give them prayers where we can just be honest about our sin. And Psalm 51 is one of those prayers where we can just be honest about our sin. And, you know, we all come to this, these kinds of prayers in different states. Sometimes we're particularly burdened by a particular sin in our life. And we need something to help us feel like we can move on. We can come back to God. We can receive forgiveness. We can we can get back into a good standing with God. And I'm saying all these things from an experiential point of view. I understand that Christ is our standing before God. We're never not in a good standing before God if Christ is in our lives. I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about our emotional relationship with God, where we feel like sometimes we're walking with Him and sometimes we're far away from Him. When we become aware of our sin, we feel far away from Him and we don't want to approach Him. We feel like we have to stay away because for some reason we feel like that, well, we're not sure how He's going to receive us. We're not sure how we can come back. No doubt that's how David felt. And he penned these words in desperation. And they are great words for us to pray, either because we feel, like I said, a particular burden of sin, or we just need to admit our true and deep need for God's mercy. That is the truest state. When we sense our need for God's mercy, 
when we sense our constant need for his forgiveness, for his mercy. That is the truest state. That is the time that we are most in line with the reality of our true condition. So it's good to come to Psalm 51, even when you're not feeling particularly guilty of sin, because it reminds you that you still have to confess sin and you're still in a state of needing God's mercy. Let me start just by reading the very first line, and then I want to I want to read something that Jesus said. So Psalm 51, verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Now, that line is also the line that we read when Jesus gives this parable in Luke chapter 18. Let me just read the parable because I think it's important to understand the context of this line in Jesus' parable. Luke chapter 18 starts in verse 9. Luke writes, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus is telling this parable because there are some who are confident in their own righteousness. That's what Luke says. So that's the context of this parable. It's important to understand that. And now these are the words of Jesus. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, tax collectors are the lowest scum. They were the ones who used the military occupation of Rome in order to extract money and swindle people out of their earnings in order to collect taxes, and they had the coercion of the, of the soldiers to do it. So they became very wealthy off other people's hard-earned money. So they're the lowest people of that day. Jesus said, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. So this guy's pretty happy with where he is with God. He does his duty, he does his religious service, he does his acts of righteousness, and he's not robbing people or doing evil or committing adultery. So he feels pretty good when he comes before God to pray. Jesus goes on to say, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I think that's the line from David's psalm. Have mercy on me, O God. It's modified here a little bit. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is really an important teaching of Jesus. I think we really want to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying only one of these guys was justified before God, and it wasn't the guy who came in confident of his righteousness, confident of his standing before God because of his religious obedience, and confident of his standing before God because he was not committing the big sins. Jesus said that person wasn't justified before God. He thinks he is. The opposite is reality. And then the opposite is reality in the other sense where the tax collector comes in and he is just humbled and he is feeling far away from God and he is desperate. He's beating his breast out of desperation, out of unworthiness. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went home justified before God. We got to keep that parable in mind as we come back to Psalm 51, because I, I do believe Psalm 51 is on Jesus's mind when he's giving this parable. 
David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. These are things that David is putting his confidence in. He's not putting his confidence in his righteousness. He's not putting his confidence in the sincerity of his prayer. He's putting his confidence in the character of God, the steadfast love of God, the abundant mercy of God. So he goes on to say, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. These are parallel statements that basically mean the same thing. But a lot of times in the Psalms, the repetition is emphasizing the need for this. The fact that this is emphasized by repeating it three times shows how David is feeling about his sin. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is a burdened person. And this is like the tax collector when he comes in beating his breast, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is what David is saying. Wash me, cleanse me, blot out my transgressions, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Never has there been a time, I think, where David is saying, where I'm more aware of my unworthiness to come before you. I'm more aware of my unworthiness to receive your steadfast love and to receive your mercy and to receive your forgiveness. Yet what else can I do except throw myself before your steadfast love? What else can I do except throw myself before your abundant mercy? I have no other option. Have mercy on me, O God. So that David says in verse 4, against you, and this is confusing to a lot of people because it sounds like he's trying to minimize his sin, but I think he's doing the opposite. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, David had had Bathsheba's husband killed, and he had used his power as king to commit adultery with Bathsheba, and he got her pregnant. Now, here's the thing. He's not saying, well, it doesn't matter what I did to them. What matters is what I did against you, God. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's not limiting his sin. I think he's elevating it. He's saying, look, ultimately all sin is against you, God, because you created everyone in your image. You are the owner of everyone. So when I sin against someone, I am sinning against you. Ultimately, it's God against whom we sin anytime we sin. It's against God. So that he says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Ultimately, it's God who judges for all of our sin, which means that all of our sin is against God. He's the one who judges. The point here is that David is saying, I deserve nothing but judgment. That's why I need mercy. That's why I have to depend upon God's abundant mercy is because I deserve nothing. I have no righteousness to bring. I have no works to pay for my sin. I have no personal righteousness to pay for my sin. All I've done is what is evil in God's sight. So he's justified and blameless in his judgment. And I think that's really an important place to be. This is what Jesus went on to say in that parable. Remember in Luke 18 in the parable, he said, I tell you, this man rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Humbling ourselves means we know we deserve nothing. We do not deserve God's favor. We do not deserve God's blessings. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. We depend upon his abundant mercy. We're asking God to have mercy on us, and we know what we have done is worthy of his judgment. He's blameless when he judges us. We don't deserve anything except judgment, but we're asking, we're crying out, we're humbling ourselves, depending upon God for his mercy, knowing that we have nothing in ourselves to deserve it. It's an important place to be. Sometimes when we become aware of our sin, it gets, to, it gets us to that place, and that's a good place to be. Other times when we're kind of going through life and we're a little pharisaical, we, just, we, we think we're doing well, we're kind of humming along thinking, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm listening to a podcast. I'm prayer after all. I'm doing pretty well. Jesus says that's a, a delusional place to be. That's exalting yourself when you should be humbling yourself because in reality, every moment you should be saying, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. In verse 9, David says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is what we feel like when we need to have God have mercy on us, is that we want him to hide his face from our sins. This is poetic language. It's imaginative language that says, I know I have sins I can't take them back, but I pray that you would hide yourself from them. Hide your face from them. Don't see them. Blot out all my iniquities. What David doesn't know is that the son of David that would come a thousand years later would die on the cross so that God could punish all of our sins on the body of Jesus on the cross. All of our iniquities. All of our sins. He doesn't have to hide his face from them. He can judge them completely upon Jesus on the cross. So we have the rest of the story that David didn't have. We have Jesus on the cross who takes all of our sin upon himself. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins upon himself, God's judgment for our sins upon himself. And so what we pray now in the spirit of David, but with the knowledge of Christ, God, thank you that you have placed all of my sins on Jesus on the cross. Thank you that you have mercy on me by becoming human in the person of Jesus and dying for my sins punishing all my sins upon Jesus on the cross so that I can have the righteousness of Christ. And so that verse 10 can be true, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, we know from the New Testament that we wouldn't have faith in Christ if it were not for God giving us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit causing us to be born again or born from above And so every believer, Paul says in 
Romans chapter 8, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. So we could get technical and say, well, no, God can't take his Holy Spirit from me if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And technically, doctrinally, that's true. David here is talking about his anointing as king, that when he was anointed with as king by Samuel with the oil, the Holy Spirit came upon him and, and God anointed him as king. And that's foreshadowing of Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the king, and the Holy Spirit coming upon him when he was baptized. Ultimately, David is saying here, don't take my kingship away. Don't take your Holy Spirit away. Don't take your anointing away from me. But still, it's a it's a prayer we should want to pray. Every believer wants to pray, God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Let me be in your presence. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is where we want to come out the other side of when we confess our sins. We're asking God to create, to renew, to restore as he does by the Holy Spirit, as he does in the gospel. This is what his redemption is. This is ultimately what he will do in our resurrection. But he does so now, even now, in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 17. This is ultimately what God wants. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Remember, Jesus said that he who humbles himself will be exalted and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. What God wants of us when we become aware of our sin, when Psalm 51 reminds us of our sin, reminds us of our true condition, puts us in a state of reality, what God wants of us is for us to humble ourselves before God to understand our constant need for his mercy, constant need for his forgiveness, for his steadfast love, to cleanse us from all of our sin in Christ, and by his Holy Spirit to create in us a a clean heart, to renew a right spirit within us, to restore to us the joy of our salvation. is something similar to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. The Apostle Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, that's an attitude we should all have. I am the worst of sinners. I know my sin. My guilt is before me. I have sinned and done what is evil in God's sight, so that he is justified in his judgment, and yet... By his mercy, by his grace, by his steadfast love, he has placed all of that judgment upon Christ on the cross, but that doesn't change my sense of need for his mercy. It doesn't change the humility, the contrite spirit that says, God, I depend upon your mercy. I have no righteousness to offer. I have no works to give in exchange for your grace. I stand in need of your grace. And so he says, Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What Paul is, I think, thinking of is in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, when Jesus says, Jesus said, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, here's why I came. I came for sinners. I didn't come for the righteous because there are no righteous. Even those who think they're righteous will never come to me. So that's not why I came. I came for the sick. I have come for sinners, to call sinners to repentance. So Paul is saying, this is why Jesus came into the world is for sinners like me. And this is the attitude we have. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am sick. I am not healthy. I am not righteous. I am in need of you to restore me, to cleanse me, to renew me. I am in need of you to blot out my transgressions. I am in need of you to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I am in need of you to cleanse me from my sin, to have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. This needs to be our constant attitude if we want to walk in reality. We want to walk humbling ourselves so that God can exalt us in Christ. Anything short of that, anything that causes us to lift our head in a sense of righteousness is delusional. It's a heart that's drifting away from the reality of the gospel. It's exalting itself and God will humble us. So Psalm 51 reminds us to humble ourselves before God and remember our true condition of constantly needing his mercy. All right, so give me a few more minutes and let's let's pray through some of these parts in Psalm 51. We won't pray through the whole psalm. We'll pray through the parts I read. Obviously, when you come to this psalm and you've got specific sins in your mind, it's always good to talk about those specific sins with God. David doesn't do that here. Um, not really. He, he, he keeps it pretty general so that it can be used by God's people, uh, the Holy Spirit, is able to use this in God's people's lives for 3,000 years. So we will keep it general in this prayer as well, but I would encourage you to be specific when you can, just for lots of good reasons. But one in particular is because God wants you to know that you know your sin and to deal with that specifically with him. So let's go ahead and pray here. Let me lead you in a time of prayer. Try to make this prayer of David that he prayed 3,000 years ago, your prayer, written by the Holy Spirit, to be used in your life, to draw you deeper in your relationship with God, closer to him, as James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's do that now uh, through Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I come before your holy presence, I come before your righteousness, and I come before you in Jesus' name, I come before you clinging to Jesus, I come before you in Jesus, I come before you by your Holy Spirit asking you to have mercy on me, O God, according to your infinite steadfast love. As vast as this universe is that you have created, so infinitely more vast is your steadfast love. And your steadfast love for me, I appeal to you, God, according to your steadfast love to have mercy on me, to forgive me of my sin, to 
blot out my transgressions, to wash me thoroughly from all my iniquity, all of it, to cleanse me from my sin, all my sin, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. As vast as this universe is, so even infinitely more abundant is your mercy. And I pray that you would have mercy on me, that you would give me what I do not deserve. And that is your blessing, your steadfast love, your mercy, your forgiveness, that you would completely blot out all my transgressions, that you completely would wash me thoroughly and completely from all my iniquity, that you would cleanse me completely from all my sin. For I know my transgressions, and I'm sure I don't know the extent of all of them. You do. I don't. You know all my transgressions. I know some, but you know all of them. My sin is ever before you, and even now it is before me. I know my guilt. I know my sin, I know my transgressions, and I know that I have done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified and blameless in all of your judgment. I deserve nothing but judgment. All my sin is a transgression against your steadfast love. All of my sin is a rejection of your infinite wisdom and your love and your mercy and your goodness and your righteousness, and your holiness, and your glory. And so I have done what's evil in your sight, so you are completely justified in your judgment. You are completely blameless in your judgment. I deserve nothing but your judgment. But I pray that you would have mercy on me, O God, creator of this universe, and my creator, have mercy on me. You are the creator of those whom I have sinned against, You have created them in your image, and I have sinned against what you own. I have sinned against what you have created. I have sinned against your very image itself. I know what I have done is evil in your sight, and you are justified in your judgment. But I pray that you would have mercy on me according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. I pray that you would create in me a clean heart, O God. You have to create it by your Holy Spirit. You have to renew a right spirit within me. Only you can. You are the I am. Only you. From you comes life. All life is from you. And I pray that you would give life to my heart, that you would give life to my spirit, that you would create in me a clean heart, O God, that you would renew in me a right spirit. By your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not cast me from your presence, but that you would restore to me the joy of your salvation, that you would uphold me with a willing spirit, that you would create in me a heart that is after you, Lord, that wants you, that seeks after you, that sees my need for you, that sees my constant need for you, that you would uphold me with a willing spirit so that I would trust your infinite wisdom, that I would trust your infinite goodness, that I would trust your infinite love, 
love and that I would know my need for your mercy and my constant need for your forgiveness and that I would humble myself so that you one day would exalt me in a resurrection like Christ, that I would humble myself so that even now you can uphold me with a willing spirit. You could restore to me the joy of your salvation. You could create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, an obedient spirit within me, a humble spirit within me, a loving, trusting, joyful spirit within me that comes by your Holy Spirit, by your spirit alone, O Lord. Give life to my spirit. Give life to my heart. Because you are the God of my salvation. You alone are my salvation. You alone are my forgiveness. You alone are the steadfast love my soul seeks. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. I pray, God, that you would not humiliate me, but that you would help me to humble myself, that you would help me to have a broken and contrite spirit, not by humiliating me anymore, but by enabling me by your Holy Spirit to humble myself to a broken and contrite spirit so that you can exalt me, O God of my salvation, so that you can restore to me the joy of your salvation, so that you can renew a right spirit within me and create in me a clean heart, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me according to your infinite steadfast love and according to your infinite abundant mercy. I don't come before you in my own righteousness. I have no good works to offer in exchange for my sin. I come before you clothed Only in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come before you in Jesus' name, not my own. Jesus' righteousness, not my own. Thank you that you have placed the punishment of all my sin, the guilt of all my sin upon Jesus on the cross, and he has broken through the other side of the death that I deserve, completely deserve, because of your judgment is true and good and righteous. I deserve nothing but death, but Jesus has broken through the other side of death and rose from the dead to give me, by your mercy and by your grace, to give me a resurrection so that one day truly you will create in me a perfectly clean heart and you will truly renew a right spirit within me through a resurrected body and you will truly restore me to the joy of your salvation and the righteousness of Christ forever. Because Jesus said he came not to save the righteous because there aren't any righteous, but that he came for the sick, that is me. He came to the sinners like me. And I repent of my sin. I say with the Apostle Paul that here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So I trust you, God, that Jesus came into the world to save me, to save me a sinner, and I am not deserving of your mercy. I am not deserving of your saving. I'm not deserving of your forgiveness. But Jesus came, 
and that is my confidence. Jesus came, and that is my trust. This is a trustworthy saying. So in spite that I am the worst of sinners, I trust that Jesus came and took my sin and gives me your righteousness because you are the God of my salvation and I will tell of all your great works. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.